now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union Naval. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, everybody. Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today while he is off working on his book. Unfortunately, he realized he had a deadline that he needed to meet. I, see, I reminded him. I thought I he had one yesterday. And I reminded him, and he's like, "No, no, I'm sure I don't. I'm sure I don't." He did, <laughs> so he is not here with us. He wishes he were, but in his stead, I am sitting here, and I will give to you his mantra, folks: We want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our first and second amendment rights. The Alan Nathan Show is a Main Street Radio Network production, so we want to thank the Main Street Radio Network for allowing this program to exist. I say that because some of their sponsors have been wanting this program terminated. Didn't agree with the content, but they have had our backs, so we appreciate that. Also want to thank the Salem Radio Network as well for distributing this show. Main Street Radio Network is at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com, and we are always encouraging our listeners to go visit them as well. And you can find out them on Facebook, Main Street Radio Network, as well as Twitter at Main Street Radio. And, of course, the Alan Nathan Show is at AlanNathan.com and on Twitter at Alan Nathan. And my humble show, The Silk or Joe Show, is on Getter, G-E-T-T-R.com, at Silk or Joe Show. All right, at this point, Alan reads his pre-written topics. I have none because today has been a mess, but we are joined right now by a guest, so I will just cut to him right away. He is Bernie Flowers, retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Air Force and a former congressional candidate, and he's also author of Black Values Matter. Bernie Flowers, appreciate you being here. How are you today? Joe, thank you for having me. I am wonderful, and especially around all these conservatives who think like I do. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing uh, the group think that's going on around here. A lot here, of group think. Although you have to, although it's not like the same kind of one-minded black-white thing that no, uh, the no. left does here. Everyone here has a different agenda. That's why there's all this talk about a GOP civil war. We all have a little Irish in us, and we all like to argue. But the way I look at it, if we can get eighty percent of solidarity, we are in a good place. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, this book here, Black Values Matter, uh, tell us about it. Well, um, my background is 20 years in the United States Air Force, almost 21. Mm-hmm. Been everywhere, done everything that Uncle Sam told me to go. I was even in the Ukraine before it was cool. Um, then 13 years as a senior civilian working in the interagency with all the three-letter three, three letter agencies. And um, when I was working with DHS, it just um, just showed me that we were wasting a lot of money. And part of that was the concept of black people voting against their own self-interest. I know it sounds complicated, but a lot of black people, myself included, are, you know, pretty much, well, were wedded to the Democratic Party for a very, very long time. And I realized that uh, we needed to do something about that. So I ran for Congress in the 2nd District of Maryland. I didn't win, but I'm trying to get the word out that black values matter because they're American values, and that is what my book is all about. So it talks about a lot of my adventures in the federal government and in the military and the idea that a lot of black people are voting against their own self-interest. So the book's for sale on Amazon, and um, it's doing well. Yeah, uh, I remember you keep talking about voting against your self-interest. That's actually a line that the left likes to use a lot, and especially... 
nowadays it's usually referring to lower income white Americans voting for Democrat against their self-interest. They keep saying that. Like they know what the self-interest is. Heck, these are the same people who didn't even care about East Palestine, Ohio exactly. until finally they couldn't ignore it anymore. So even, here they are lecturing you on self, what's in your self-interest when they ignore a toxic chemical spill. Exactly. So, you know, the, the wholesale support of the Democratic Party has just not worked out for the not only black community, but the minority community as a whole. And you mentioned the East Palestine thing. Um, I, I think the, the young lady's name is Nina Turner. I think she was a congresswoman just recently. Even she was complaining about the response of the federal government and poor people, working people are just being left out of the equation and um, all this woke ideology that is being perpetrated by the left is not working out for us. And again, look at Mr. Obama. I mentioned him in my book. Um, we voted for him in mass, but what did we get for that wholesale support? I say nothing. Where are my reparations? I didn't get any. Now, I don't necessarily believe in reparations. I believe in a meritocracy. But the eventual um, issue here is the fact that a lot of people voted for Obama thinking that they were going to get reparations and they got fooled. Hmm. So we just need to wake up and vote a little bit smarter. Uh, I believe that the conservative movement has a lot to offer for the minority community. And um, I just think there's an opportunity there for us to do better as a nation. And again, this whole idea about sending all this money to the Ukraine, next thing you know, they're going to be sending our children to the Ukraine to fight a war against people who haven't done anything to us. Now, yet yeah, it's terrible that the Russians and the Ukrainians are fighting, but we have a central intelligence agency that's supposed to stop these wars from happening. And they failed. Yeah, if anything, they seem to have been the ones to start it. Because back in 2014, under Obama, what did he give us? He overthrew the democratically elected Ukrainian regime. You know, Democrats like to talk about overthrowing democracy. Well, that's what they did in Ukraine. There was some guy who was actually kind of friendly toward Putin. There certainly wasn't going to be a war between those two. Democrat, uh, the, or Obama didn't like it. CIA, or uh, I think it was the CIA. I'm not sure which agency, but they uh, overthrew that guy. And then put in, not Zelensky, but his predecessor, who was much more friendly to NATO, much more friendly to America. The Russians saw that, and I think that's why they went and grabbed Crimea while they could. Yeah, and Joe Biden was the guy in charge of Ukraine back in those days. But this all boils down to the military-industrial complex, the way I see it. There's an old book called um, War is a Racket by General Schmedley Butler. Yep, I do have a copy of that. My favorite book. Very simple. I love the book so much, I bought about 20 copies and gave it to all my buddies when I was over at Fort Meade. But the issue of the day is we need to be aware of the doings of our military-industrial complex because they're in the business of making money, and we are in the business of freedom. And sometimes they don't always go together. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what the book's about. Uh, I use a kind of a title that was catchy, you know, with the Black Lives Matter, but anybody... <laughs> who reads the book will understand that I'm talking about American values. And um, I live in Maryland, and I've been uh, walking around or basically making a speaking tour, going around the various conservative clubs. So if you live in Maryland or that area, uh, you'll probably see me coming around. And I've got a website, you know, BernieFlowers.com, or you can just type it, type Bernie Flowers, B-E-R-N-E-Y, on Facebook or any of the um, social media outlets, and you'll find me. So, Joe, I'm, I'm monopolizing your conversation. you probably got a few questions. Oh, yes. Um, so 
Where exactly the speaking tour? Have you had a pretty good reception from it? Oh, it's been great. I've been to the Frederick County Conservative Club. I've got a date on Monday, I think it's Tuesday, with the Carroll County Republican Club. Um, the ladies of uh, Baltimore County have had me. Um, Anne Arundel County Conservative Club. Um, the, just several, several clubs that have been very, very uh, forthcoming and helpful to me and um, the idea is that you know I'm not just selling this book to to make money for myself I'm thinking about another congressional run to tell you the truth and I'm trying to raise the conservative banner in Maryland which is very very liberal we just got a brand new you know Democrat governor and uh, a lot of his policies I'm not particularly comfortable with I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail there but the conservative flame still lives in Maryland and there's a few of us that are fighting a good fight I happen to live in Howard County and uh, my, my campaign manager Beth Lawson is right there behind me having a good time she can't hear us but you know she's a great woman she is chairman of the Howard County GOP we just had a, a function last Saturday and uh, there were like 75 people in a private residence uh, to hear Governor Ehrlich speak. And uh, it was a great event. And so we're just trying to raise the banner for conservatives and make sure conservative thought is not forgotten. Hmm. Yeah, Bob Ehrlich, he's an old friend of this show, too. Actually, he was, when I started, he was one of our regulars. And then, but his PR guy was horrible. <laughs> he, he had a habit of not answering emails. Well, we can put you in calls. touch with Governor Ehrlich if you need right. to. Actually, I have his phone number. I'm just afraid to use it because I don't like calling guests directly when I know they have PR people. It steps on their toes. Oh, yeah. Got to be professional. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have a minute and a half left. I want to ask, what can the GOP do to outreach to minorities? Because one of the things I see a lot uh, online, you know, browsing forums, one of the commentaries says, well, I'm not a Republican because what are they going to do for me? They're, uh, Democrats are the ones who are actually talking to me. we got to show up. And that's what I'm trying to do. I try to get to as many events as I can. And we say minorities. We don't just mean black people. We mean Asians. We mean Indians. We mean people from South America. Because a lot of the immigrant population, believe it or not, is very conservative. But they're watching us to see what we're going to do. They don't want to see us out here arguing and, and, and playing Hatfields and McCoys with us, with each other, as we did in the last Maryland election. Um, the conservatives need to get their act together. We need to get a message and, uh, and stick to that message and stop fighting each other. And so that's what I'm all about and trying to reach out to some of the minorities in the, in the world and try to bring them to our side. So that's right. what it's about. Bernie Flowers, appreciate you being on the Alan Nathan Show. Again, listeners, he is the author of Black Values Matter. Where can we get a copy of the book? You have a copy of the book. That's yours. Well, listeners, where can they get a copy? They can go on Amazon.com. Uh, it's right there. All right, folks, go check that out because we're coming up to a break, but do come back because we have more Alan Nathan Show after this, live from CPAC. According to the new State of Security Preparedness 2023 study released by Avanti, approximately half of respondents said they are very prepared to meet the growing threat landscape, but expected safeguards are ignored a third of the time. And leaders are actually four times more likely to be victims of phishing compared to office workers. Avanti CEO Jeff Abbott. Avanti surveyed 6,500 executive leaders, cybersecurity professionals, and office workers globally to understand the perception of today's cybersecurity threats and to find out how companies are preparing for next generation cyber terror threats. The overwhelming majority of security professionals and leaders, 97%, told us their organizations are as prepared or more prepared today than one year ago. 
However, the threat of the unknown is as real as ever. In fact, only one in five of those same cybersecurity professionals would wager a chocolate bar on the state of their readiness. To learn more, visit Ivanti.com slash cybersecurity report. It has been over 30 years since Hurricane Andrew devastated South Florida. That storm marked the beginning of the Home Depot being a hub for help during disasters, a tradition that continues today. To commemorate those efforts, the company is releasing a new film called Hope Bills. Briar Waterman, Senior Director, Creative Design of the Home Depot. Drawing from interviews and using archive footage, we trace the origin, growth, and sophistication of the Home Depot's disaster relief efforts, demonstrating it is deeply connected to the values of the company and our unwavering support to our communities during their times of need. Whether it be a veteran in need or a community devastated by a natural disaster, Home Depot associates go beyond the job, beyond the nine to five, to make sure that their neighbors and communities are taken care of. This documentary is a prime example. To learn more about the film or for help creating your emergency supply kit, visit your local Home Depot or thehomedepot.com slash hopebills. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, Visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Al and Nathan Show, everybody. Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today. We are live at CPAC. Our guest, who was supposed to be at the segment, is going to try to call in because I guess she can't make it here. There is quite a crowd going on around here. It's uh, the usual CPAC boom. Now, I personally hadn't been here since 2020. I think they stopped holding it up here in Maryland, but uh, they've moved it down to Florida, so I had no luck with that. But uh, Really hoping, uh, but it's really looking like it did in past years. So I guess the whole COVID thing is now officially over as far as CPAC is concerned. Anyway, 
It's a great atmosphere here. A lot of people buzzing about. Actually, some of the guests we've gotten by just yanking them right off the street, basically. They walk by, I say hi, and boom, they're on because I have an opening, either because a guest canceled or a guest is trying to call in or something to that effect. I can't imagine, though, what the Democrat equivalent to CPAC would look like. I assume it would be like this, but, uh, you know, you can't really tell because everyone here looks kind of normal and there's no one shrieking and uh, no one introducing themselves with their pronouns. Everyone seems uh, readily identifiable. (laughs) And there's no... uh, I wonder what rules they have, too, because I know at some of those uh, left-winger events, they have rules like why people can't walk in front of minorities, why people have to just... uh, walk behind them or not cut them off. White people can't even really speak if a minority is speaking. So no rules like that here. Everybody gets to speak. Heck, you heard it on the last segment, or last hour of the show. Congressman Ralph Norman and Horace Cooper happily exchanging pleasantries and talking along. I don't really think that is possible with the left, given their ideology, which is white people are the oppressors, black are the oppressed, whites have to bend over backwards to kiss the ring or whatever of the non-white there just to make up for, you know, past transgressions of their ancestors, sins of the father and all that. So it's very interesting dichotomy there. How do you function when you're not allowing a majority of your people to speak and when you're giving perhaps undue deference to people who haven't done anything to earn it? I talked about this on my show for the weekend, meritocracy, uh, something that left is entirely opposed to. In fact, the American Medical College Association... They find that tragic, meritocracy. They said it was outright racist, something to discourage, something that they should be opposed to. The Medical Association, of co- the Medical College Association, opposed meritocracy. Do you really want your doctor to have been appointed because of skin color or sexuality? Like somehow how they were born or what they do in the bedroom makes them a good doctor? Well, I guess, you know, playing doctor in the bedroom, maybe that's where they got their lines crossed there. But Lou jokes aside, it's horrible where this is going. And you really have to wonder, how would an event like this function over there? And we are now joined by our guest, Angie Wong. She is president of Legacy PAC. She was previously the president of Black PAC. Angie Wong, happy to have you. How are you today? Hey, I, I'm very happy to be on your show. I was just at CPAC, and it is crazy over there in Media Pit. Oh, yeah, we are sitting here right now coming to you live from that area. Uh, I understand that uh, your organization was running CPAC's congressional meet-and-greet, and and I was just wondering how such things might run on the Democrat side, given the various rules they have over who gets precedence. You know, your skin color and sexuality place you above someone else. (laughs) Well, we're very lucky to be hosting a great event during CPAC week. Uh, We've got great players coming. We've got uh, Congressman Byron Donald, Congressman Matt. Matt, Mark, Alford. We have uh, Tom Holman coming by to speak with us. And of course, the newly elected Michigan GOP chair, Christina Caramo. She just won her seat on Saturday. We're so happy to have them all as guests. Tim Klasik's going to be there as well. And the whole thing's going to be orchestrated by David Brody, uh, who's a great political uh, analyst. So we're going to have a great night. Uh, everyone, come by to the University Club tonight at 6 p.m. We're just going to have drinks and rub elbows with the congressman. Uh, I hate to say that, but this will actually be airing at uh, 6.30 p.m., so you just missed the mark <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yes, sorry, listeners, I'm violating a rule here by mentioning that we are not doing this live at all. Uh, we can't do it, obviously, live. Uh, I don't think Radio Row is even up and running at 6.30 p.m. Uh, well, but, you're, uh, you can come. I hope you can make it. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be lots of fun, lots of interviews. 
Um, but yeah, no, we're excited to just be a part of all this. You know, um, you know, CPAC people make a commitment to be here uh, in, in Maryland. Um, they fly from all around the world to be, you know, with their people. So you know, it's just been an incredible thing. All right. So now, how? how- difficult was it to set all this up to wrangle the congressman because i know trying to book congressman on the show there's always a lot of trouble and then it's always subject to well if committee x goes into session i can't even be there and you never know until like the day of or the minute before yeah yeah no i don't know we've been incredibly lucky my pack is only a few months old this is our first event this is our kickoff event and we've just had so much support i think it's because we just keep really good relations from you know past there's a lot of trickery, a lot of politicking that happens in D.C., and there's not a lot of people you trust. Um, and I will tell you, we've been working with these congressmen before they were elected, since before they were elected, before they became freshmen and sophomores. So we've developed these great relationships with them. They Hopefully, I think they trust us. We're going to raise some good money for them tonight. Um, yeah, no, we're just lucky to be within the circle of trust uh, with members of Congress. That's interesting. You say you're the legacy pack, but it seems you're more focused on the younger members. Just seems to be, yeah. uh, you know, should have been the young bucks pack, not the legacy pack. Legacy just has the connotation <laughs> of the old guard. Yeah, that's right. We look. You know what's happening in Congress. I'm sure you talk about it all day long. We can. We need some members in Congress who understand things like Section 230, who understand kind of the newer technology issues coming about, and not just sign the bill that prohibits free speech and only because they don't understand it. So um, we work with a lot of freshmen. We handhold them as much as we can. They're great people. They don't need a lot of our help. But if they do need the support, we're there to back them up. We're here to hold line for the conservative movement and especially the America First movement. Um, so we want to make sure that you know beyond Donald Trump, this continues on and on for generations to come. And that's what we call ourselves like Hmm. And I hope it's a long-standing legacy. So how, how do these uh, younger congressmen, how are they being received by the older ones uh, with, with their new ideas, new fangled ideas of them youth? Well, I think they're learning, which is great. You know, they're not going to just go in there and just start playing dragons on day one. Um, so that's been really nice. The, the we. We pair them up with a lot of the kind of seniority in, in, within the Senate and the House of Representatives. They're great. They love them. They get along great. Um, and it's been a really nice mentorship. Uh, and I, I think that each other, they embrace each other's ideas. And it seems like everyone's getting along finally. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> it was just a few months ago that everyone was hating each other. Now everyone's trying to get along, which is nice. Hmm. Yeah, it's good to hear that they're all starting to gel, and Congress definitely needs new blood. Uh, something that actually a uh, independent, liberal-leaning friend of mine who you know is repulsed by the Republicans, but you know sometimes hates the Democrats too. We both agree that Congress is using yesterday's thinking to make today's laws, basically. So it seems definitely your pack is something needed to help fix that. Oh, we have to. We cannot look. You had people. You had congressional members who can't even write their own email and send it because they don't know how to use their email program. Passing laws like Section 230 that affects all of us. It affects our free speech. 
and it infects our, our way of life and the decisions we make and the information we receive from media. They can't do that because why? They didn't have enough time to read a bill? Because they didn't understand the bill that they were signing? Because they were just technophobes? You can't have that. But going forward, we have a lot of issues involving artificial intelligence. Right. Well, uh, we'll have to leave it there, but Angie Wong, appreciate you being on the Alan Nathan Show. Well, she is with Legacy Pack. Make sure that we don't overfeed our animals because feeding our animals more is not love. You know, there's so many other ways you can show love, like throwing a ball and walking them and give them a little extra love. The annual end obesity campaign by Hills is wonderful for a guy like me and Dr. Hodges who are practicing veterinarians because it's obesity, like you said, is one of those um, illnesses or conditions that we see most in the veterinary hospital. And it can be very difficult sometimes talking to clients about, you know, their patient being obese, you know. But Heels with their campaign have given us the tool to be able to get this message across. And it's something that they do annually. They've invested a lot of time, a lot of money into the research, into the pet food that we can use to help these animals that are obese. So you can go to inpetobesity.com and you can learn a whole lot more about how you can actually use the love test as well as learn more about Hills Pet Nutrition and ways to control your pet's weight. Hi there, it's Joe Montana. Life after football has been full of taking my shot at new things. Now I'm working with Pfizer to tell you about pneumococcal pneumonia. Pneumococcal pneumonia should be the last thing standing in your way. Pneumococcal pneumonia is a potentially serious bacterial lung disease that can strike any time of year. It can disrupt your life for weeks, and in severe cases, it can put you in the hospital and even be life-threatening. And Joe knows that vaccination is one of the best ways to help protect himself from pneumococcal pneumonia. If you're 65 or older or 19 or older with certain underlying medical conditions like asthma, COPD, chronic heart disease, or diabetes, Talk to your doctor or pharmacist about the risk of pneumococcal pneumonia and whether vaccination is right for you. Understand your risk at KnowPneumonia.com. That's K-N-O-W pneumonia.com. This is your shot. This message is brought to you by Pfizer. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed underemployed or just out of school feels a lot like that but when you find the right tools suddenly everything just clicks getting on that path may be easier than you think a good place to start go to findsomethingnew.org at findsomethingnew.org you have access to resources that help develop new skills skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries from healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. 
Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. Sitting here again, Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today. He's off working on his book, trying to meet a nice deadline there. And uh, he couldn't be here at CPAC today, so I am here in his stead. And we are joined now by Melissa Ortiz. She is Senior Advisor for the Able Americans Project at the National Center for Public Policy Research. Melissa, happy to have you. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Oh, great. Happy to have you. And I am doing just all right. So tell our listeners, I think... You might have been on my show, but I'm not sure if you were on Alan's show yet. So uh, let's hear about the Able Americans Project. The Able Americans Project is, a, is approaching disability issues from a limited government, personal responsibility, and personal choice approach to living with a disability. The disability community has a phrase that says, nothing about us without us. And that's conservative values. We want to be sure that people have the ability to have a voice and to make their own choices as to what works best for them in living with a disability. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. When the government gets involved, you know things just go sideways after that. I, are you familiar just off the top of your head with it? I know the government must have screwed up something <laughs> with disability policies. Uh, do you, can you think of anything off the top of your head? Uh, one thing I can think about is that you have unelected bureaucrats running things like local social security offices. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time that I was on social security disability. Uh, I had had major surgery. My husband and I moved from New York City to Washington, D.C. so that he could go to graduate school. When, and I, so I was on disability, and I had to go in and let them know I had moved, all that. I had a lock on a job that I hadn't, that wasn't a sure thing yet. And when I looked at the lady and said, I am going back to work even after all these months of being so sick. And she said, why would you want to work when the government will take care of you? I had to excuse myself very quickly from her office. I said, listen, you have my new address. There it is. See you later. Bye. And she was trying to sign me up for all these programs that I didn't need simply because I had a disability. I was entitled to them. There's a difference between being qualified for something and actually needing it. Mm -hmm. We have too many people who have gotten comfortable with this idea of being taken care of. And then you have all these other people that want to work but can't work because there are too many stumbling blocks in the way. 
there are 61 million Americans with disabilities. 75% of them are either underemployed or unemployed. And 90% of that 75% want to work. 50% of that 75% have advanced degrees, but they can't find a job. Wow. And is it, what's up obstructing them from getting the job with uh, such qualifications? Exactly. You have employers out there who don't understand that a workplace accommodation doesn't have to break the bank, so they're afraid to hire people with disabilities. The average workplace accommodation costs $500, and it can usually be covered through donations from the local trade unions, local Home Depot, the Chamber of Commerce, all the you know, people want to help. If they see somebody trying to make something of themselves and move forward, they want to help. March is Disability Awareness Month, and I'm spending this month with National Center, with Able Americans at National Center for Public Policy, talking about ways that we can make the world more accessible to people with disabilities so that everybody has a chance to participate in the American dream. It should be getting easier these days with... uh the start, after COVID, the sort of decline of going into an office, exactly. employers having to put up anything to make it accessible. Instead, people can work from wherever. Right. People with disabilities have long been begging for remote work options. Back in the 90s, the Tennessee Valley Authority was the first part of the federal government to embrace what they called telework at that point. And it gave an opportunity to lots of people that live in the Tennessee Valley area to go to work and earn money, and now the entire federal government is is open to that. And I'm seeing through COVID, that was the best thing that COVID did for people with disabilities, was to give this idea that remote work is of value and can succeed with the right support systems and the right the right oversight systems, that it can succeed, and that gives people with disabilities an opportunity to become wage-earning taxpayers. There's something really validating about getting a paycheck that you that you specifically mm. earned. I earned my very first money when I was three years old. Oh, wow. So I learned early on that if I would work and do a good job, that people would pay me for my skill set. Hmm. Yeah, actually, and, and this, the way our social security system was designed, as you got into a moment ago, it's sort of designed to keep people out of work, social security disability. My brother, he's a lawyer down in Danville, Virginia. He deals with stuff like this all the time. And my the last tenant that I had, she was on social security disability, and she told me outright that the benefits she was getting and the monthly stipend that she got it actually outweighed many minimum wage jobs. It does, and you have SNAP, and you have rent assistance, you have all these things. The welfare system, so to speak, was never meant to be a living. It was never meant to be a hammock. It was meant to be a safety net until people could get back on their feet and provide for themselves. Hmm. Yeah, it uh, seems that it's been turned over into sign up as many people as you can and exactly. stick them on the government dole. And it's not a sustainable system in any way, shape, or form. No. Uh, I've had a guest on my show last year talking about Medicare, for example, being on the verge of collapse. And they actually shuffled money from the collapsing postal service pension fund to Medicare. So, well, shuffled debt from the pension fund to Medicare. Right. So it's I realize like, people can't see me nodding my head, but I am yeah. nodding my head in complete agreement. We have to do something. And I believe that the best thing that we can do is let local states and local communities make decisions about how to best care for the least, for the most vulnerable among mm-hmm. us. Yeah. There, the, the faith community has ceded the public square. 
and it was the faith community that was intended to care for the least among us, the most vulnerable among us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, said turning it over to legislation, and uh, it's a general thing. Conservatives' uh, polls and statistics and stuff show that they're generally more charitable, whereas Democrats tend to say, okay, create some government program and take it out my taxes. Right. And right. then in that case, you get this whole situation we're in now. Exactly. And there become, there comes a point when you have fewer people working who are, than, than are not working, and it's not sustainable, mm-hmm. which leads into this idea, well, maybe if these people can't work, we should just help them die. Mm. There's medical aid in dying is being passed in state after state after state. I just went through a two-year battle with breast cancer on top of the spina bifida occulta with hydrocephalus that I was born with. And during that two-year battle with cancer, I was offered medical aid in dying repeatedly as the idea that I was not necessarily a useless, useless bread gobbler, but I could actually not be, not suffer and it would save the insurance company money. Mm. And I that, that just to me was not acceptable. And finally, the last person that tried that with me, I said, you need to go Google me because I led the fight against physician-assisted suicide in D.C. I helped lead it. I was not the main person, but I was part of a coalition. And I said, don't ever talk to me about this again. And they are actually in violation of the law in doing so because the way the law is written, the patient has to bring it up, and they have to have less than six months to live. And it has to be a doctor's statement that they have less than six months to live. But the way they're doing it is they're offering it to people very obliquely so that the people will be kind of subliminally pushed into choosing it. Wow. That's just horrifying. And, you know, they're either doing it either for the money to help the insurance companies because, you know, the doctors get money from them, but also they could just be doing it because that's just part of their ideology. But either way, it's horrific, especially with people who are relying on that doctor for the best advice for them. If they actually have, can get through it and can live, but that doctor's pushing suicide, well, what's the patient going to think? Right. You have to learn to be your own best advocate. I talk about living with a disability not being that different than living without a disability. In life, to succeed, you need resourcefulness and resilience. Teddy Roosevelt, every time you get knocked down, you get back up. He has this beautiful quote about resilience that would take me about five minutes to, to, to say the whole thing. Then you have resourcefulness. Figure out a way to get it done. My mother calls me the queen of, of alternatives. And she said, from the time that you popped out of the womb, you were trying to figure out other ways to do things. And I would actually say to her, I can remember saying to her once when I was seven, well, Mom, I don't mind doing that, but do you mind if I do it this way? Isn't that still obeying you and doing what, it, what you asked me to do? And she had to work really hard with me to make me understand that when somebody asks me to do something a specific way, that later on when I get into a job, they're not going to be interested in creative alternatives. Mm-hmm. But that desire for a creative alternative and finding other ways to do things, or as we say in the South, there's more than one way to skin a cat, Finding that other way to get the skin off has served me very well as a person with a disability because I figured out how to live my life even with the largest of roadblocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with the doctors talking against you the whole way, it seems. It's horrific that what the medical community has gotten into. And um, listeners, you'll hear more about that on the Silk or Joe show this weekend. I talked with Christian Watson of Color Us United about uh, medical industry going woke. Yes. So it's like, I did that interview at like 11.20 this morning, and here we are at 1.30. And I'm like, Still talking about the same thing. Yeah. 
and it's frightening because you know people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 30s tried to tell people in Germany what was happening. They didn't want to hear it. People like Eric Metaxas are saying it today, and people still don't want to hear it. I wrote an article for Holocaust Remembrance Day for the, for the Washington Times mm-hmm. about how, once again, healers are becoming killers. Mm-hmm. Everything that happened in Germany was overseen by doctors. Wow. Melissa Ortiz, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate you being on the Alan Nathan Show. And again, she is with the Able Americans Project at the National Center of Public Policy Research. You can look them up there in the break. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember... There is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who who got got his his first first job, job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? 
or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat. Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show, everybody, broadcasting live from CPAC, where we have something interesting going on. Um, The guest who was supposed to be here took a gander at us, then walked away. I have no idea where they went off to. Oh, they're coming back now. But, uh, boy, we are uh, quite a busy day here. Uh, I've screwed up booking. Guests have been have their bookers screw up. And now our guest here looked at me. I guess they were expecting to see Alan here, but it's just he, Silker Joe Show, co-host Joe, filling in for Alan while he is off working on his book. And we are, our guest getting adjusted here. We are joined by Dr. Bonner Cohen, Senior Fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research. And he is um, st- just sitting down. He is also an advisor with the Heartland Institute. And uh, when I asked the doctor here, uh, could you put your headphones on? All right. So we are waiting here. All right. Dr. Uh, Cohen, happy to have you. How are you today? I'm delighted to be here, as always. All right. Thank you. So... <clears throat> Right now, while we're all sitting here at CPAC in East Palestine, Ohio, they're dealing with a horrific chemical spill from a train derailment. Where's the EPA administrator? Well, the EPA administrator finally condescended uh, to spend some time in East Palestine almost three weeks after uh, the accident. Uh, He did, however, get there sooner than... uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, uh, who showed up a couple of days later for a brief appearance. And, of course, the President of the United States has yet to show up and has let it be known that he will not. Now, what does this tell us? Well, uh, this, I think, shows the disdain uh, that the American ruling class and the Biden, in, in general, and the Biden administration in particular, has for people in flyover country. Let's face it. This is not a demographic that's of any interest to them whatsoever. And um, their assurances, particularly the one that the uh, EPA has repeatedly uh, made, 
that the air is safe to breathe and the water is safe to drink is belied by the uh, experiences of the people in town who complain about the odor in the air. Some of these people are spitting up blood. Others are complaining of headaches. And when it comes to the water, over 40,000 marine animals, most of them fish, have died. So how safe is the air? How safe is the water? You can't make that determination on the basis of just a few tests uh, taken at one time in one place. I would remind people that in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks in 2001, the then EPA administrator assured people in Manhattan that the air was safe to breathe. Well, it turns out that she, was Christy Todd Whitman, was absolutely wrong and that hundreds of people were taken ill. Some of them died. Uh, they had lung disease brought on by what was in the air. So premature declarations of victory are the last thing these people need. Yeah, it just seems like this whole effort has been to do as little as possible and to actually solve the problem and as much as possible just sweep it under the rug. For the first week or so, no one was even paying attention to it. It wasn't until it got onto social media, and the only reason the Biden administration seems to have paid attention is because they can't. Yeah, well, that reminds me of a certain balloon uh, that originated in China and made its way all the way to Montana. Uh, and the only we were not told by the powers that be in Washington anything about the balloon, but some guy in Montana looked up in the sky, saw something that wasn't supposed to be there, started raising a stink about it, and then, and only then, uh, did the Biden administration do something about it. Something else about the train. That train was carrying a lot of hazardous materials. One of the materials it was carrying was oil. Now, what is oil doing being transported by train? Well, it's being transported by train because we lack the power lines uh, the, uh, uh, to transport it via pipeline. These things are supposed to be transported by, transported by pipelines, which is much safer than trains. What did the Biden administration do shortly after coming power? Within hours, it shut down the Keystone XL pipeline and has made sure that no further pipelines, be they oil or natural gas, were built. A wonderful way to destroy the, the energy infrastructure of the, company, of the country. So these are the kinds of things that, that, that ordinary people are going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it just seems the Biden administration's reasoning behind the Keystone doesn't seem to make sense either. At the same time that they're shutting it down, they're encouraging coal production abroad, and they're actually, they helped Russia build their Nord Stream pipeline, and while also keeping the Israelis from building one of their own to compete with that. That's right. Uh, even worse, uh, by embracing renewable energy, understood here as primarily wind and solar, they are benefiting which major foreign power? Answer, uh, the People's Republic of China. Why? Because China has a, an almost monopolistic control over the raw materials that go into wind turbines, solar powers, the, uh, the batteries for uh, electric vehicles and the batteries that go to back up uh, wind and solar power when the sun doesn't shine and when the wind doesn't blow. They control almost the entire supply chain. So as we go through this great transition, 
that the president is so proud of, what we're really doing is we are enriching China. Uh, we, who had achieved energy independence just a few years ago, have now exchanged that energy independence for what? We have exchanged that energy independence for reliance on China for our energy. That is geopolitical suicide. Mm. And not to mention, for all those folks who say, oh, we're doing it to go green, China's method of getting these materials is not green in the least. They oh, are no. far more polluting than we would be if we did it. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, in addition to all the uh, environmental damage that will result from mining, they, uh, the Chinese control the mines in Central Africa where child labor is used to extract those metals, and that's done by hand. So people who are virtue signaling, driving their Teslas or whatever EVs they are, are actually complicit in child labor. And they are employing technologies which actually aren't the least bit environmentally clean. On the contrary, they're quite filthy. This, no, they don't have the, the, the vehicles themselves, don't have the emissions that gasoline vehicles have. But these vehicles have to be manufactured. And what goes into them has to be extracted. And that is where you, that is a very dirty business. And it will get even dirtier as we manufacture more and more EVs. Right. And I was talking with someone who sells uh, solar panels and all that. They said that the, the charging batteries and all that, 10 years. So after 10 years, you got to dump your batteries. you got to dump your batteries. Yeah. Those are not recyclable. No, no. So you're talking about millions and millions and millions of uh, chemical-laden batteries that are going to be dumped all over the United States and all over the world, all in the name of saving the planet from what they would have us believe falsely is a climate crisis we'll have to cut you out there dr cohen appreciate you being on the al nathan show listeners thank you for tuning in all Be right safe. thank you the opinions you hear on the main street radio network are those of the host callers and guests and not necessarily those of the station main street radio network its management or advertisers the information on the main street radio network does not constitute a recommendation offer or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities so please consult a professional before investing if you have any questions or comments about main street radio network contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website mainstreetradionetwork.com